This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome, everyone, to yet another episode of Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z. I'm Matt Fonslow, and I get to welcome back again Glenn Forehand, a good friend. He was just on. We were talking about programming and kind of before and after. He was telling me about his um, really his career path and uh, some job transitions he's going through right now. And it's really, really interesting. I think it lends itself greatly to uh, kind of the situation or environment we find ourselves in in uh, the profession. So welcome back to the podcast, Glenn. Right. Thank you. No, thanks for joining me. Before we get talking here, let's thank our sponsor, Napa Auto Tech Training. Napa Auto Tech offers three-hour virtual technical classes that can be accessed from the comfort of your home. To find out what courses are available, go to NapaAutoTech.com and click on the Napa Auto Tech class calendar link. All right, man. I mean, it's been a long time. It's been, what, <laughs> not that long? Not not too long. <laughs> but what you were telling me was just it was fascinating. I just find it tracks really, really well with what we're kind of seeing with techs. I don't even want to always say like the top of the cream of the crop, but it's techs with some uh, skill sets and, and good skill sets. What's happening, where they might be going or what's out there for them. Probably just turn this right over to you because you're the one with the story. I was just an avid listener. I've been in and out of the industry since 94. I've taken several breaks Liked working on cars, always wanted to learn more. Never had myself in a situation to really learn much uh, electrical side, diag, things like that. That's what I was interested in. There was a small shop town closed. I rented it to flip cars in. You know, I'd been away from the industry for a long time. Bumped into Scanner Danner, signed up, started learning a few things. And I started fixing cars that with electrical problems around here that shops and other places, you know, they, whatever reason, they didn't fix them. And so I buy them super cheap and sell them. So I rented this shop. And next thing you know, uh, Napa, <laughs> our sponsor, they started sending people over. Hey, this guy can fix cars over there. You better get over there and talk to him. The guy was very trusted in this town that had the shop before. He co-signed on me, an auto body shop guy that I did some work for on his outboard and um, on some stuff. And a car dealership here. I saved them a bunch of money on a missed Diag. Um, being a small town, I got guilted into it pretty much is my defense to going back into this. <laughs> and so then I found myself doing auto repair and it was uh, by the seat of my pants, completely underfunded, undertrained, you know, thinking I, uh, I would just be able to grab a tech when I started. There was always 10 people applying to every job. Never did in a world that I dream I'd have a hard time finding competent help or even help at all for that matter. I decided to keep overhead down. There were some differences, opinions on repairs needed to be done in the building I was in there's damage to the parking lot. So I kept having like Lake Erie in front of my shop. So everything I put on the hoist, I'm getting rained on even on the, the few nice days we get. And so I said, well, I'm going to move this shop. So I find a place eight miles out of town was going to go into that place. And literally as we're moving it in, we lost power floor heated shop, middle of winter. It turns out the underground cable for the power supply broke. And in the meantime, getting that repair drag is dragged on for months. And um, there actually is power back onto the place. But even with me wanting to pay for it and all that, just feet were dragged. So now, in the meantime, I go to work for our local casino, uh, which is a few blocks from my house, literally. I live very close. And so I went into building maintenance there. I'd worked there before. Now I go back with these different skills or enhanced to work from where I was before. And I really caught some attention on some HVAC stuff and some... Um, you know, like our, uh, we call a combi ovens and just different repairs where I'm calling the electrician, hey, this is wrong. I can't kill power all the time to these devices and like take them apart. If it's something that has like high voltage, even if it's if it's 110, really not supposed to without the electrician signing off on it. So I'm just calling them and telling them this is what's wrong with it, you know, and raised eyebrows and all this stuff. And so, um, you know, now I'm already offered a supervisor position on another shift, they're talking about, hey, we know these guys in HVAC. They would love to hire you. Do you want to be an electrician apprentice? You know, you got to go take these classes, but we want to hire you. Everywhere I turn around in there, they're trying to hire me out of the casino even. I have a different pay scale depending on what time of day I'm working because we have differential pay. Very generous differential pay. The mean average or whatever, I get paid about $25, $26 an hour, somewhere in there. 
I think it's 26 and change to probably work two hours a day in an air conditioned facility. Like, like we mentioned, uh, you know, the rest of the day we, we do whatever we want. We're encouraged to do whatever we want. As long as we're not wreaking havoc, we're even allowed to do a little bit of that, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'll work valet. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, we have this, you know, and like they have vehicles and equipment all over the place. If I want to go around and mess around with something with the thought of maybe even getting something to run or work better or whatever, free reign, absolute free reign. Like we do a lot of PMs. Think of it as like industrial maintenance, almost the, the part where I'm at. And so, you know, we might knock out some PMs or some repair work. Say it takes me two hours. I have six hours of the day. I can literally do what I want to do. If you were to try to get a job at a shop, is that comparable to that? Would you make as much or more or less or... So a guy that I was 1099 and whatever however you want to call it, anyway, subcontracting or subletting work to, he wanted 15 to 20. I paid a minimum 25, often 35 an hour. But the next shop that you're going to get around here hourly, you'd be lucky to get 15. Lucky. Probably 12. If you want to drive 45 minutes, 40 minutes to the dealer and not the best flat rate situation again, like I said, the ABC tech thing, I don't know. I, I call myself a very good beast knocking on the door in ATEC status kind of level of skill, I guess. I can do some things to surprise a hell of a lot of people, and I'm dumb as a box of rocks on other things because of coming in and out of the industry, you know, so many times. I'd probably be lucky at a shop, private shop there to get 18. So, I mean, it's very comparable dollar per hour. And then is it an assumption that you're getting medical, dental, eyeglass benefits there or yeah so i'm minimum seven dollars an hour higher at the casino than what i would be elsewhere i have full benefits uh 401k matching um pto i think my what my first 90 days after i passed my 90 days it gave me 33 hours 36 hours pto already um it goes up for every year of service you also get cash money at these like one year five year ten year so they pay you extra money. Well, they're in casino chips, but. Right. And then, um, so we have like potato harvest and things like that, right? So we can actually take leave without losing our job, whether we have PTO or not. And we can go harvest potatoes because they know we're going to make so much more money and they'll like cover our, our job for us and hold our job till we get back from that. So they'll do that with potato harvest, um, leaching, beets, um, wild rice. I'm trying to think. They've got generous leave things leave plans for whatever if you're having kids or whatever's going on um and it is all it is full health um they also will give you loans with payroll deduction say my transmission went out i need a couple grand to fix my transmission they'll loan me that money and do payroll deduction several times a year you can even have multiple loans going at the same time actually did i mention it's air conditioned It's Minnesota. It's always air conditioned. Just open the window. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're talking huge benefit difference, huge benefit difference than I could get ranching, as we'll call it, um, and a huge pay difference. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, it's a catch 22, I suppose. But really, you can make a, you know, whatever a lot is per hour. But if you don't have some sort of a health insurance policy, something. It doesn't matter. You cannot make as much as you could spend on your health if you have a health emergency. So I, I think sometimes that gets forgotten about like maybe certain shops out there do pay. They do pay enough that you could go out and buy your own insurance or family just seems so brutal, but you could and then still be considered in line with the, the median income or slightly higher or whatever. I don't know if it's that many, right? I think so many rely on your spouse or your significant other has uh, the job with the insurance and then you're the job that pays the money. That's a heck of a gamble sometimes, right? I need to, before I forget to, I need to give some people some perspective too, because you're going to be like $25 an hour, man. That ain't much money. Well, we pay $600 a month for a three bedroom house here too, though. Renting. That comes into play on that too. And I think that makes that dollar per hour amount look different for cost of living being so much lower. I just wanted to make sure not forget to say that because they're like, well, yeah, if you're in San Jose, California, you're, <laughs> you know, you're making nothing, you know. You have a Kenmore box under the bridge. I've been kind of vocal about this to some of our groups and letting people know, and a lot of us want to change the industry, quote unquote. You know, I want techs to be get paid what they're freaking worth, man. That's where my heart is. And 
uh, as an owner, when I had to pay a guy, I overpaid him big time, but I could afford to. So I paid him what I could afford. I didn't care what my neighbor shop was paying. I wanted to take care of my guys. So that's a perspective that I have. And I understand that that may be unique because certain entrepreneurs you're going in, hey, this is a business. I'm here to make a profit. And I understand that. I do. I still say if you're using humans to run your business, you need to take care of your people. It needs to be a reasonable income compared to what other industries are doing. And right now, everything that I can go into blue collar, it pays better. And I find that ridiculous. And I'm not saying that because shop owners are ripping off the text, man, I'm not, I'm definitely not saying that. You know, my answer, my rebuttal always when people say, well, I'm paying them what I can, what I can afford. Well, then my answer is the business isn't viable then. And I hate saying that to people because some people, it's like their dream to open this shop, but maybe, maybe they're in the wrong area or something. Something's wrong, you know? Part of their identity. Like it's become part of their identity that insulting the business even if you're not actually insulting it, if they take something as an insult to the business, they take it as a direct insult to themselves. And that's not always healthy either. Right. No, no, it's not. That's what I hate about text, but I'm sure I probably have come off that way to people a few times because I am passionate about text. You know, I guess my big disclaimer here is I'm not jabbing at, at them personally, unless, unless you're looking at your tech, like you don't give a damn about them. Well, then I'm jabbing at you. This is a difficult job, man. And I don't know a whole lot of shops that or if really any offhand that the uh, shop owner lives in a mansion with multiple, multiple, multiple car garages and swimming pools. And, you know, the techs are just scraping by, you know, it's usually they're scraping along right, right with them. Right. And I keep saying that, like, you need a raise too. You do too. <laughs> I've, I've said that multiple times and tried to really get that out there and, and make sure I'm heard it the way I'm trying to present it. You've arguably risked it all. You know, you're putting a lot of stuff on the line to open this business, to have this business. There should be a reward. There should be. And then, like I think you're alluding to and will continue, the options are now out there where the word's getting out that Autotechs have these wide skill sets, right? They have the ability to do a lot of different things that lend themselves very, very, very well to these other jobs like you're saying in maintenance and factories or casinos or you know like more heavy duty maybe you know it's still vehicle repair but it's on the heavy duty side what are you going to do when your techs are leaving you know you're hemorrhaging these guy people these techs to go you know work maintenance at the uh, amazon warehouse or wherever because they have to pay up because they recognize the need for the skill set need the person that can come in and figure out an appliance, figure out, you know, they, they can do some welding. They can deductively reason something to figure out why it's not working, whatever machine, a packaging machine, shipping machine, vehicles on site. The list goes on and on and on and on. You got somebody there that can figure it out or make it work. They're valuable. And that's what we have in droves. If we can't take care of them, we're forcing their hands. They can work on cars at their house. And make enough money that they can buy a nicer house with a garage and put a hoist in there and they can do some side work for fun or just work on their own toys and you're forcing their hands. You look at a job like mine, like most days, I have had a busy week this week, but most days, like I come home, I'm not tired. <laughs> I'm like raring to go, man. So imagine that, <laughs> you know, especially if you want to do some side hustle. I mean, my God, you come home and you're like full of amped up, ready to get in there and you can throw four four hours down without even getting yourself too tired or whatever. You just made your family an extra four or 500 bucks that day, wrenching on the site at home or something or mobile. I mean, it's pretty sweet, you know? So that's an option. It's going to be tough for shops to compete with. Um, it is around here. Again, going back to our programming show, it's why we're not seeing programming around here. There's not, you know, top talents going elsewhere or guys that are hungry to learn are not staying in these low paying you know, wrench turning jobs. Um, you know, it's kind of a shame. Something's going to have to change. How do we get the, the shop owners, the return on investment that they should be getting so that they can pay the techs the money that they should be getting is the big question, you know? Yeah. I think stuff's changing. It's maybe not changing as fast as we would like. I think it's changing because it has to, I mean, I've seen the labor rates going up around here, you know, a hundred, hundred dollars an hour for a long time. That was a threshold nobody was willing to break. And so our shop had been over a hundred for quite some time. 
before we had people joining us. And it, it might be, they'd be right at a hundred or 101. But like you're saying that just the cost of doing business itself, uh, forget the uh, payroll has gone up. They've had to go up for those reasons. And then, yeah, there are people starting to threaten to leave or open up. Well, we, you don't really open the newspaper up anymore, but uh, any kind of like the hiring services or uh, even like Facebook will have jobs pages or jobs groups. And you start ripping through some of these and the factories looking for maintenance, maintenance techs. I mean, some of these guys when they're, you know, they're working nights, they're making really good money to start. Yeah. To start. <laughs> yeah. And like you said, they're starting, they start them out with two weeks uh, vacation right out of the gate and benefits kick in. And now that really, that dollar per hour is better yet. Your, your expendable income keeps going up because, you know, you can make an awful lot of money and boy, something health wise occurs. <laughs> it doesn't matter anymore. It's all bad. Yeah. You better have that insurance, not just relying on unemployment or disability, but you know, we can insure our, our paycheck too and get that kind of coverage. And it's something pretty valuable if you're the breadwinner in the family. Guys should be looking at that because um, I don't know if you know Zach, you know, like when he tore his bicep, you know, he ended up losing his, his job at a place he thought he was stable at. He opened his own shop and, you know, but there's a lot of those stories out there. Guys slipping discs or whatever, you know, if you're in an at-will state, I mean, there's not a lot of techs beating down the door anymore. I guess we're not as easily replaceable, but uh, I mean, it used to be that way where you get replaced. You could get replaced that day, <laughs> you know, <laughs> quick phone call and you're you're out of there. I'm bumping heads with all these different trades. We have outside contractors coming in all the time, right? Okay, like our electrician, he just kind of freaks out because we have this this big oven that went down. And so we pull the side panel and um, quickly deduce messing with things, you know, like the sinks pop the fuse. Okay, well, he needs he has 15 amp fuses, he doesn't have five. And so, you know, what are we going to do? How can I do this? How can I make sure this is a problem? Well, if he, they did a repair earlier and they thought some moisture was in there or something inside this thing and, and caused it and think they think it's going to be fixed now so i said well you know we both know it's dangerous said i know about cars man i don't i don't know about this stuff as much but why don't we just grab your thermal imager and why don't we put that 15 amp fuse in there just for a couple seconds and then pull it out and see what got hot you know and that was like a big deal like whoa where the hell did you get that from and oh my god da, 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 you know where did you learn to think like that or whatever and i'm just like dude it's just normal <laughs> you know there's nothing special there there was no magic at all you know it was just to, like to me it was common sense you know and so then i'm like well did, you know did you trace the circuits or anything what does this go to where's the brain if we're worried about frying something and it's like well no well how are you going to diagnose it well i wasn't i was going to put another fuse in <laughs> and just let it go and i was like wow that's that's like acceptable you know and they were like well yeah you know but i'm, I'm stuck with this 15 amp so i said well did you trace the circuit no five seconds later well here's your problem right here here's a wire that's got a nick in it and it's all green and crusty and there you go follow it up to this um junction block right here and you can see it's a little discolored there so and that was it so they just we just did a work around tied in there boom put the thing back together worked great i was like you're gonna put the amp clamp on that wire you know and see what it's drawing in case that 15 amp fuse is gonna get us in trouble oh, no we're good it's good enough if it breaks they'll call me again <laughs> like that's what's in the industry man like that's what these guys are going around doing so there's no diagnose it their their butt wasn't on the line if something else messed up and it turned on i can leave now if something else goes you have to pay me again to come back my jaw dropped <laughs> i i couldn't believe it so what you're saying is if you worked for them they would lose money i guess so man <laughs> yeah you know really I, I, I guess so. And there's been a few a few things there. You know, I won't keep boring you with the stories, but there's just been a few things there. And they're like, you know, like, how the hell did you fix that? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? I'm looking for a signal on control to, to this, this, that, or the other, you know? Why isn't this like I'm putting my hand on a relay? It's not clicking. I got a problem, you know? So I know it's back this way, you know? And they're just, I don't know, looking at me strange. Like, isn't this like common sense? Vehicles, you know, it's a casino. They've got a ton of vehicles just going out there fixing little stupid things every once in a while and they're acting like we're gods or something well and if they had the room they might even set you up with a small work area with a hoist and everything right but then you know and then it comes to question though should i do that to myself 
I was kind of wondering like, where does this go? Cause I'm, I'm thinking of just tech, you know, maybe they're, uh, like you said, something happened where they lost their job or they got fed up. <laughs> Probably more likely that one, the latter, they got fed up, you know, just saw the ad. I'll go work here in maintenance for a while and then, uh, just kind of be able to stay above water here for a, a bit. And then maybe I'll find another shop or maybe I'll just go into business for myself. Right. And then you get there and all of a sudden you're kind of wrestling with, if you ever want to leave, all right? Steady paycheck, got the benefits for the most part, enjoy the job or it's not overly challenging. They really like you. And like you said, you got energy when you got home, you probably have money, do something in your garage to fix it up, fix it up to do a couple of cars or a car a night or something, helping out friends or neighbors and what would be the attraction to go back to the shop? Because the the politics are probably far less. And I suppose just the general uh, condescension of the motoring public, right? They just don't hold us in very high regard. And there you're kind of behind the scenes. And if they do see you, you're a freaking hero. And you know, like how many times we've had customers that had dumb little issues and their car wasn't starting or whatever, you know, it's 30 below and they're like, you know, oh my God, my blower motor ain't working and I don't have, I spent all my money at the slots and, <laughs> and you know, I can't get a hotel or what are they going to do? Well, the casino's it's like, not even my car anymore. They have the title, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I, I've, I've seen a casino actually put people up for free a couple of times straight out mouth, but I'm like, I go under there and you know, whack your blower motor's on. There's there been so many just weird little things, especially like on their equipment too. Just walking up to it, like we have a, a gravel spreader to throw like sand and stuff down in the parking lot. And of course, you know we had a nice storm and it wouldn't start. Call Glenn, see if he can do something. This was actually the last time that I worked at the casino, you know. And I went over there and it was just a stuck float or something stupid. Got it running. Smack the carburetor and yes, yeah, so they bought me dinner, you know, because. Like the guests are, you know, like they're going to get sued. Everybody's sliding and falling everywhere. <laughs> and now the sand, you know, they can throw some sand down. And they constantly get getting poached, though. Like outside HVAC people are coming in and you might jaw jack with them for a minute or they'll call us kind of back up if they need a hand or something. You're like fixing something for them that they didn't catch or whatever. And then they're like, hey, you know, you want to come work here, but you'll have to drive to DL's Detroit Lakes. 35 minutes away or whatever you know you want to come make 35 bucks an hour or something so yeah it's it, it's it's constant so the, yeah the question you said why well do i go back and i like working on cars so you you know you made that point well i have energy i have some money and i have the garage and i still have my tools i mean i can make my paycheck at the casino flipping one car a month potentially because they're you know selling them so cheap they can't fix them that's been to a shop or whatever that's not advanced around here for Diag and they're terrified to go to the dealer so they're selling these cars you don't get them all the time but sometimes you know 500 bucks you pick up a car that's on marketplace for 4000 if it's running you know by the time you fix just a couple little things on it you spend maybe half a day on it that's a pretty big incentive to stay home <laughs> you do that a few times a year it's weird to me but I don't think it's weird industry-wide. I think a lot of guys are experiencing that similar right now. For 98 years, the Napa name has meant quality parts and service. It also reflects top quality training programs to help you build a more successful vehicle repair business. No doubt, the technician shortage is impacting everyone, but you're not facing this battle alone. Napa has the solution by making Napa AutoTech training available near you. Napa AutoTech provides automotive aftermarket technicians career development opportunities through structured, disciplined, measured, and high-quality technical instruction, no matter the technician or service advisor's skill level. This instruction enhances understanding of vehicle systems, increases first-time repair capability, and overall customer satisfaction. It also prepares technicians to become ASE certified. It's a fact technicians who receive training to improve their knowledge and skills have a higher sense of job satisfaction. This reduces technician turnover and increases productivity, directly improving a shop's profitability. It is vital to the success of a shop's business that today's technicians are equipped to diagnose and repair today's complex vehicles. With our ever-changing technology, the technician's knowledge and skills need to be updated and refreshed on a regular basis. As you labor over the decision of whether to send your techs to get their skills sharpened, keep in mind... Napa AutoTech training is an investment, not an expense, and it's available to all. Much of Napa AutoTech's training is offered in more than one format to accommodate varieties of learning styles and training preferences so each person can maximize their learning. 
Whether you're more of a hands-on person or enjoy learning at your own pace, Nap Autotech is here to provide you with the training you need and the format that works best for you. To learn more about what Nap Autotech offers, contact NapAutotech.com. I know a guy who he was a dealer tech, and he left in a fit of rage, drove straight to a um, they make uh, indoor fireplaces, gas fireplaces, and he gets a job right away, and it's less dollar money per hour, but Within a short amount of time, he's making more now because even though his rate was lower, his hours are consistently. And you show up at, you know, if you're working, and I I imagine he probably didn't start out on day shift, but if he did, you're there at, you know, a little bit before 6 a.m. and 2.30 hits, you're done. You're out. You know, it's pretty rare that they're asking you to stay late. And if there were some issue... It's time and a half. No questions asked. And and granted, maybe that's the difference between a big company and a small business is that if you're having to stay late to fix up this car, is the owner kind of barking at you because, hey, you know what? If you wouldn't have been dragging your tail during the day, I wouldn't be paying you overtime to finish it up or something like that. Where there, the pace is much lower or slower, I guess. And it's really no question. If you're there late, you're getting paid overtime. And he found out that it's just, it was easy. And I tried so hard to get him to come work in our shop. And he's just done. Like, no, I want nothing to do with that and ever again. And I wasn't going to pay him flat rate or anything like that, but he likes that environment now. And it's like, we ran out a really, really good tech. Yeah. And that's horrible. And how many times has it happened today? I, I fear a lot. You know, I'm sure there's always going to be some indies involved, but is it the dealers or, you know, are they really mistreating them that to the point where they're not leaving the dealer to drive down to the indie shops that are crying for help? They're just done. They're out. I think a lot of these guys are talking to people in other trades, man, and, and learning what their options options are by and large. I think the only thing keeping it from being a, a larger Exodus is the fact of the uncertainty going into another trade where, hey, I've reached a certain level in auto. Uh, us older guys, anyways, can relate. There's a lot of pride and ego. You come in, you're the man. You know, that guy's got a lot of skill set. Not not all of us are, are pretty darn humble. I am because I haven't earned those stripes yet, so I'm still humble. But Every time at ball time, I think I have something figured out and I'm pretty good at it. A car shows up immediately to put me in my place. Right, right. I don't know. I don't know how people can do it. I don't either. <laughs> Wouldn't that hinder some people from going to a new trade, though, where you're back to being the green guy? I bet you that's one of the only things keeping a lot of people in, man. Well, I think there's situations, too, where I've had people hired, if you will. I've made them the job offer. We've agreed to terms. They've accepted the position. They are going to put in their notice. And then they kind of ghost. And I have a feeling a lot of times it's the shop they're at right now. They are the top dog. They're the go-to guy. They're the one that, you know, figures it out or makes the big decisions. And they're coming into a shop where they're not going to be the top dog. And I'm not even saying I'm the top dog. We got other techs. You know, they have their domains that they are you know, the uh, authority and you're coming from this shop and you're not going to be the authority, at least not starting out. But then how do you grow? That's my question. It's an odd ego thing because if I show up and I'm not as good as I hoped I was, chances are this is the path to get way better. Right. Right. I tried to tell my daughter to go to a different college so that I wouldn't care to be a tire tech there. Around here, I can't name a shop there could be some, and I just am unaware of them, but I don't know what shop supports higher learning, believes in tooling, and it will treat you halfway decent. I know your personality from, you know, being online and everything where I, I think, you know, if you have another tech in the shop, you can have those conversations where guys like, hey, you know, hey, man, I'm, here's all my tests that I did. Here's my results, and I'm a little stumped here. I feel like you would nudge them in the right direction, <laughs> if not a lot more than that. Well, first, I would try to make you cry. Well, you probably would every day anyways. (laughs) 
I'm going to belittle you for a long time. <laughs> and then, no. Oh, so we're going back to the, the 80s and 70s. Then. Yeah. <laughs> Throwing right. wrenches at the apprentices. We're old school. I'm going to come over and I'm going to look over your shoulder and you're going to say I'm stumped and I'm going to go, I see the problem right there. And then I'll walk away. No. Uh, yeah, see, I'd, I'd weld your toolbox door, your toolbox truck. So. <laughs> <laughs> I would not do that. But, but no, you know, I, I seriously, though, I talk to the family. Hey, what do you guys think about this area? Because they know that I have a passion for working on vehicles. I love it. I've always loved it. I've gotten out of the industry so many times because one, pay, and I couldn't pay the bills. Or two, I was stagnant. Either they weren't offering training or I couldn't afford to get more training. And so I was caught in that, hey, you're not good enough to do this diag work or whatever, you know, so you're going to be slinging front end parts and that's just where you're at. And it's like, no, I'm out. Bye. I have a very hungry brain. Like one of the reasons I took the job at the casino, one of the stipulations is that I get to learn from some of these other tradesmen that were employed there, the electricians and whatnot. And they're all for it. They love that. So that helps us both. But, you know, so that's why I came and went. So, you know, if I, if I could go back in time, I would have put more effort into finding a shop that would have supported my growth or an area to work in where I could have did it myself and stuff. I would have had a whole entire career in auto. No question. It was my preference. But now that I'm 48, you know, this late in the game and all that, I'm, and I have this ability where I can still do it, you know, but maybe even more to my own pace. Maybe I, I have this car in now and I can hook up to every module and you know fart around and get waveforms and build my library and i can test this system or that system and get the growth that i want it's the learning that i was always after you know that was my motivation it wasn't the money yeah like i i did actually poise the question hey (laughs) what do you think about down there because my daughter wants to go to ndsu so i looked in fargo too and i'll tell you heavy duty you mentioned it a few other industries that are outside Again, just with the skill level where I'm at, I can expect to go make 45, 50 bucks an hour, hourly in Fargo. I have three job offers for for that or better. And it took me like two hours to get those job offers of just even throwing it out there. So yeah, the question is like, what are we doing? (laughs) I can't believe we have any techs left, honestly. Is it a big secret and they don't know we shouldn't be making this podcast? (laughs) I think a lot of it is hope. A lot of it too is comfort, you know, and you're you're getting good at it. A lot of it too is like you're saying, depending on age, the prospect of starting over is not all that attractive. You know, if you're finally fed up, even if you're in your late twenties, early thirties, like you're already thinking it's too late to become an electrician apprentice or a, a plumber. I think we also have these odd views of things too. Whereas the public doesn't respect what I do, but I know it's really complex. And this community of people I know, know that it's very complex and it doesn't matter if it's in the diag end or just repair to be able to take these cars apart and put them back together rapidly and really, really well is, I mean, that is a heck of a skill. That is a heck of a skill. But we also do the same thing where we're looking at working maintenance at a factory. Like maybe that's a little bit beneath me. You know, if you do it, you know, all of a sudden you get through the learning curve. If there really is any, you might find out there isn't much of a learning curve. And it's like, what was I thinking? Don't get electrocuted is the the learning curve. Well, a friend of mine, Tom Myers, I know I talk about him a lot. A, because I like him and he's a really, really good guy. But two, freaking Napa ASC technician of the year. And he ends up working for a forklift dealer group. That's a horrible loss, man. Yeah. And specifically at a dealer, he starts out and he's a tech. I mean, I meant it, but I was joking. I said, you're going to be, you'll be shop foreman in a year. Yeah, whatever. And he's scared because it's a whole, it's going to be so new and he's never worked on forklifts before. And well, then he finds out a lot of these, you know, forklifts that you call trucks and a lot of them have engines from you know Chevy 6.0 liter engines or 5.3 liter engines and he's immediately the most knowledgeable guy in the building there i sit like the guy was and is but insanely talented super good guy super good personality to have in a shop and we drove him into something else or didn't give him a reason to stay i think that's got a way heavy i'm not trying to like rally up everybody to get angry with 
the auto repair profession because I, I think it's very much on the up and up. I've, you know, at least in our small world, we've witnessed salaries going up, 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 benefits going up, 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 the work environment improving, improving, improving. And it's, I don't want to just catch up to everybody else. I want to blow them out of the water. But I, I think also the truth has to get out and it has to sting a little bit and make sure we're not the ones doing that and make sure we're not giving our people reasons to not stay. You know, it's not so much that they're looking to get out. It's a friend of a friend refer gave my name to somebody that was looking for whatever position to be filled. And they called me up and I talked to him for a little while. I wasn't going to give him much time. And then an hour later, we're still talking. A week later, I am sitting in his office, their office and we're, I'm, I'm interviewing. And then two days later, they offer me a job that I don't know that I can turn down. If it was close, I would stay here because I like it here. But it's not even close. And sometimes the numbers are that. We got a ways to go to hit some of these numbers to be able to give you that kind of money. But other times, you know, I got to believe a well-run shop where you're at could easily afford to pay you more than 25 an hour and some way of providing health insurance or take the sting out of it in the 401k and, you know, make work a little more enjoyable where it's not so much like you got to bust your tail to crank out enough hours to get this number. Why would any intelligent human being do that? That's the part that absolutely kills me. Okay, out of the trades, why are we doing the most difficult trade? And then we have to do it the fastest? And we have to destroy our body over time doing so? How in the hell did we paint this picture? Like, how did we get here? I don't even understand it. It's mind-boggling. I don't remember it always being that way. You know, old old's relative, I guess. I don't... I'm, I'm probably theoretically old. I don't know. But the generation before me, or even two generations before me, when they talk about their careers, either at the dealer or in the independent shop, they made good money. Wasn't so crack the whip, banging out the hours. I'm not saying it was super laid back either, but it wasn't like, you know, I got all your numbers up on the wall and if you're not hitting them or you're in competition with everyone else, it was never like that. And then it slowly turned where, Everyone else's rates kept going up, but ours didn't. Labor rates really didn't go up much, and our income rates didn't go up. So our expendable incomes kept going down, 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 reducing, while all the other trades, it kept going up, up, up. And we just never kept pace, and it's part of it's our fault for not demanding it right away and kind of forcing the issue, and part of it's, you know, honestly just weren't paying attention. How does, how does the whole country do that, though? <laughs> you know what I mean? How does the whole country not pay attention? Like it's uh... Well, one idea I have, and I don't know how to prove it yet, is the relative value of a car. Brand new, maybe those have gone up, but generally they depreciate rapidly to very similar zones of value. There's a lot of 70-some thousand dollar vehicles that after six years are worth you know, 15,000, the other car that was bought for $50,000, same mileage, same time, right around the same value, you know, home values just keep going up, up and up. And that's mainly where the, a lot of the other professions revolve around is buildings, real estate type things. And the values keep going up and up and up. Well, roofing your house, if that's $15,000, but the home value is 250,000, that's less than 10% of the value and the house is going to keep increasing in value. Most likely it's going to increase in value. It's probably not going to decrease, but your car, the engine goes out and it's $5,000, but the value of the car is $15,000. Right. It's tough to swallow. That's a large percentage of the value of the vehicle. And after you put the engine in it, it ain't going up in value. No, it's still going down. <laughs> it's still going down. Yeah. I think that plays a role in it. Yeah, that stands a reason for sure. And it's just a hell of a, a position we find ourselves in. Yeah, I think about your guy at the forklift, you know, and I know someone that came from a, for, a forklift place and I was told, you know, like how brutal they are to work on and they're so hard to diagnose and blah, 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 blah. You're the baddest man on the planet if you're a forklift repair guy, you know. 
you know, like you said, a lot of them are powered with you know, like GM engines or whatever, but what they think are tight quarters and hard, you know, hard to assemble or disassemble or get these repairs and how do you get wrenches and how do you do this stuff? And it was like, dude, I wish these cars were this easy to work on. Seriously, man, like I, I hate to sound like I'm knocking any other trade or anything because I'm definitely like not doing that. But a lot of those guys do not know how easy they have it. <laughs> now do it in Minnesota, you know, after a snowstorm. With all the roads all dripping in your face when you're underneath the, underneath the car or whatever, and you're fighting rust and and even if you were getting the same dollar and hours and benefits and all that, I don't know any electricians that have shelled out much more than a few hundred dollars, maybe a thousand dollars on their own tools to do their job. Right. Yes, I hadn't even got that far yet. That too. And if you're working in a a, a factory, and I don't know about the casino, but most factories. They reimburse for boots. They usually have an eyeglass type program where if you buy safety glasses, I'm kind of using um, air quotes. If you buy safety glasses, they reimburse for that. Well, they have really nice looking uh, safety glasses that you just clip the side guards on and now they're safety glasses. You got your daily uh, eyeglasses for little to nothing. Other ones go so far as providing like everything, everything, boots, clothing, like if you have to wear some sort of a uniform, overalls, something like that, gloves, just everything's there. All the PPE, if you will. I don't pay for any of that. Tools. We have to have a little bit of tools, but like most of the stuff in these places, you know, like one of the, um, I don't even know what they call like an 11 in one screwdriver does like 90% of it, like maintenance stuff, you know, your, your daily stuff, then things they have to do in the shop or whatever, you know, all the tools are like on the wall and there's toolboxes in there and whatever. If you don't have something, you just tell them and they get it, they go buy it. Our shop is getting to be more like that, but it's going to force a conversation with the, te- and, and it's everybody, but the techs that the shop wants to start buying more and more, if not everything, but for crying out loud, could you take care of it as if it's your own? Are you telling me that you, if you bought that cordless ratchet and paid however many hundreds of dollars for it, that you would treat it that way if you paid for it? You would have a stroke if you've seen what these guys do. <laughs> I'm serious. I don't think we're asking a whole lot that if the shop starts providing these things, that you treat it better than you would ever treat it your own. And stuff's going to get beat up. It's a tool. You're going to have to use it. I get it. You're going to shove that ratchet down in certain areas to use it. You know, are you going to be dropping it on the floor, throwing it on the floor, throwing it from uh, six feet away into your toolbox if it's yours? Maybe you would. Maybe you would. You maybe wouldn't after you broke it and then it went where you had to buy another one. Then you maybe wouldn't. Now, again, like other trades, that stuff's provided and they'll throw it off the second story roof so they don't have to climb down the ladder with it. And that's acceptable, you know, because it's budgeted for and they have the money for it and they don't care because they're getting paid so much, so much more. I'm not talking about the wages. I'm talking about, you know, whoever's the contractor or whatever, you know, like the guys are raking, freaking raking it in. So there's my parallel. The owner of the automotive repair shop is not raking it in like that. And that's crazy. He should be making more. I will preach that till I'm blue in the face. He should be making more than an, another business of comparable size in a different trade. Should be making double. I'm sorry. It's so much more invested, so much more liability. There's so much more everything. That tooling thing, that's interesting. Where do you think brand preference comes into that? A lot of techs, man, they're very brand loyal. I don't think they care as long as it works. I don't think we have any plans on like going cheap. It's hard to get away from the the real brand name stuff for like the the ratchet ratchets, sockets, at least the like thin wall chromes. You know, impacts maybe. Uh, you know, the difference between brands is probably a little less. You know, for cordless stuff, I mean, in Milwaukee, so freaking popular. I, it I is for us. Be... Once you get away from auto, man, I don't know. I see so much Dewalt. I've heard some really nice things about the Harbor Freight type of earthquake stuff, too. I don't know. I, I don't use it. You know, whether we could buy it off the trucks or um, stealing ideas from others, I've seen in various places. One idea is 
maybe it's not the shop shops toolbox and the shop shops tools. It's more or less like a tool allowance where these are your tools and hopefully you respect that you're going to be using them here, not carting them home and uh, stuff like that. You know, if you got a job to do at home for crying out loud, of course, but they're your tools. The shop's essentially buying them for, you know, whatever, a little bit of time of service or something. I'm just thinking honorable, not, not trying to make these rules to prevent anything, but it, you would like everything to be remain honorable between both parties, the shop and the tech. And maybe we go that way. It's like, you decide, you tell me where the right to check to. Okay. So if you had like a shelf in the back and that's where all the, the impacts were or this or that or what, then, you know, our guys at the end of the day, putting the, the cordless impacts back there and they're not putting them on the charger or they're not, you know, you guys start pissing each other off and you get a pissing match. And that's what I see at, at, at work constantly all the time. I keep my Milwaukee stuff in my locker <laughs> stuff. I have a, like a drill or something over there too. I keep my own just because nothing's ever charged. It drives me insane. I have some tools there that I brought into because I can't stand that, you know, like you open the wrench drawer and you, you have to sit there for five minutes, like almost everything's standard there too. But, um, so I had some standard sets I'd never use anymore. I brought a lot of that stuff in just because of that. Drove me insane how they are with tools though, but they don't care. They're not under the gun to be efficient like that, you know? So it's, it's a whole nother thing. What's the workload comparison? Like what's the pressure there? Like we have none dude. I guess the only thing we're ever pressed about is a water leak. I can't think of anyone there that works at a pace that I would ever hire them in an auto repair facility. I don't know how to combat that because we have to get work done and we don't pay flat rate, but you know, I'd like to think the hourly rate is pretty good. We have a profit sharing program set up where, you know, the shop makes its, makes its nut. And then after that, everybody gets a little bit of piece of the profit after that. So we break even and then everybody gets a little bit of a piece of that. And the idea is there's only two ways to, for the shop to make more money, two reasonable ways, right? Okay. One is we work on more cars, fix more cars, more ROs per month. That's how our day or whatever, whatever time frame. more, or we make more per car. So higher ticket levels. That's it. Those are the two ways what is going to be your contribution to one or the other or both? And it could be, I'm going to be more efficient. I'm going to get more work done per day or more productive. I am going to help bring in more work. However that may be, every contribution to those two things that drives up the ethical profit. And I stress this. I know, you know, the grand scheme with economics, ethics doesn't really play a role. But I think in the spirit of things, Anything that contributes to the ethical profit of the shop benefits everybody. Depending on your role and your contributions, we tweak those numbers a little bit. So I got the guy over here that, you know, the tech, he or she just cranks out high quality work at a high rate, very productive. Maybe they have a slightly higher percentage than somebody else that's doing less work, but it's still high quality. You know, but then maybe I got somebody over here that they shine on inspections and they find legitimate work and they're really good at it and they're really good at documenting it and making it easy for our service advisors to present it and sell the work. Like, you know, just trying our best to be fair and that bonus check, there's really no ceiling, right? There's no level we're going to hit like, okay, okay, that's enough. My goal would be at some point, everybody, like their base rate They don't care if it ever goes up, you know, wherever it's at, it's where it's at, that bonus check. And it involves everything, you know, can I help her with this? Can I help him with that? What can we do to make this place hum more? You know, Hey boss, I think we should move the oil rack. I think we should move where we keep the oil filters. I think we should uh, buy more oil caddies. I think we should get more carts. I think we should have another toolbox set up over here. Anything that helps drive up those two contributions to profit that is a good motivator with the right mentality but you wonder about the youngsters though are they they gonna go for that the way we did we came in and we had 10 people in line behind us waiting to take our job and so we were bred for efficiency and our background was you know the greatest generation you know the world war ii vets and man they were freaking tough and you better be a hard worker 
You got me beat by just a little bit. You you look way younger than I do, but I don't, I don't, I don't know about that either. I'm glad they can't see us. <laughs> <laughs> They're looking though. They're so the younger ones, okay, the ones that we have, have bought into it as well. And I think for them, it's like the ethical stuff means a lot to them. It does to me, very much so, yes. More than I would have ever thought. The ethic thing for me was, I don't want you out there selling stuff people don't need. If that happens, I'm going to deep six this program. I'll give you all a couple dollars an hour raises and then forget you. We're done with it, yeah. Yeah, that we're not going to go down that road. That That's not how the reward system is going to work. We're going to find real work. We're going to do good work. It's not so much pressure to get it done faster. Get it done as fast as you can while doing it really well. Because if it comes back, everybody loses a little bit. You, you can't make that time back. So hooray, you replace that alternator in a third of the time that it called for. But it came back a week later because you forgot to do this or you forgot to do that or you did this. You tightened it too tight because you were just ramming everything home with the impact or who knows, whatever. It just went upside down. You're not on flat rate, so you won't feel the whole brunt of it. But everyone's going to pay a little bit. It's going to hurt a little bit. It's definitely you created the environment where it's not cool to have a comeback for sure. You know, Not that it ever is, but like definitely not when your people are at the end pushing for that bonus. The mentality is... Of course, to try to stay busy, just do everything as quickly as you can while maintaining high standard of quality. And then let's worry about finding legitimate work, selling it, standing behind our work. And can we get more cars in? Yes or no. Should we try to get more cars in? Yes or no. Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes it's like, nope, start scheduling it deeper. We don't need to get stacked up this bad to try to hammer out this work because it ends up biting us. And you can see it. However, comebacks go up, uh, average tickets go down, you know, and it's always a balancing act too. Maybe there's shops or managers that have it all freaking figured out. I don't. But we don't want, you know, the people that are that are pumping out the work, it's already in the back of their mind to work efficient. We don't want to stress them out. Then it's the quality of life thing, you know, that is bigger post-COVID especially too. But people are like thinking about that kind of stuff. Like you said earlier, I would rather not have people going home and just essentially crumbling into the sofa or into the recliner or whatever that they're just whooped. I would much rather have a good productive day, you know, whatever that is, you know, 80%, 75%. What's fair for tech efficiency and the ideal scenario if we could get the industry where we rightfully should be for compensation and everything else i mean what is fair to people these days if we said okay look we get to redo the auto industry today how hard should we be pushing our guys assuming the shops are providing most if not all the equipment i feel like autotech should be making as much if not slightly more than their other professional trade colleagues Electricians, plumbers, welders, you know, contractors, construction, carpenters. We should be in that league, if not slightly higher. I would argue, yeah, I think our skill sets are wider. How hard would you want that tech to work? Like right now, you're, you have this bonus in place, and so guys are going to work to the limit of, to their peak ability to do good work, right? Does that remain the same? Well, I think perfect world is if you work eight hours, you would produce eight hours. But I don't think that's always possible, right? Depends on a lot of things. Is the shop set up in a way to perpetuate such a thing? And I don't know. Like, I don't think ours is. If our techs are in that really 80% range, a little bit higher, a little bit lower, but consistent and good work, we're ecstatic. 80% productivity. If it's eight hours a day, it's a little over, what, six hours? Between six and seven, six point, I, I think it's like 6.4, but, but that takes into account that it's all makes all models. It's a shotgun splatter pattern of what we work on. The town we live in with parts availability, like sometimes, yeah, we can pre-order parts. They're there ready to go. Sometimes not. And then the rust belt and it plays a role. And I'm not saying that we bear the brunt of all of it. 
but it starts lowering production levels a little bit. And then there's just gaps. Like I said, at that range, if everyone's kind of in that realm, the shop's got good income going into savings. We're writing on really nice size bonus checks, I think. All I can compare is their incomes versus other professions that I'm aware of. And I think we're right in there. The way that you described the percentage too is is about what I think we should strive for as an industry. You know, of course, you know, like our predecessors or whatever, they're, you know, ancestors, whatever, you know, they were, okay, maybe they were harder workers or this or that or whatever. You know, I don't really care. I, well, I care to the point that they shouldn't have had to have did that, but they did it and they toughed up and they got it done. But if we have the ability to change that and these parents are going home and they are able to have, to have the energy reserves to play with their children and and do all that kind of stuff. And I think it's worth striving for, you know, we're not handing out uh, entitlements by doing that. I tell you, I've cherished that, you know, as I spent all last year, I mean, I 12, 14 hours a day or whatever, right. You know, I'm coming home, man, I'm beat, you know, now I'm coming home and I'm chasing my three-year-old around. He's not chasing me. And there's days there. Like I, you know, I put in a solid eight hours we, they don't ever ask us to do overtime hardly. If there's an emergency and a four inch water pipe breaks, I'm probably going to get overtime. My busiest day there, there. I mean, I just walked a lot because it's such a big facility. You know, you get to one end and then you get a call and you got to go back to the other. And maybe you didn't have a vehicle so you could go outside and just drive. So you have to walk back through the inside, you know. And so you're tired because you walked a lot. It's not because I was doing yoga underneath a dash for six hours trying to solder. And it's a it's a different kind of tired. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Like, I know there are shops out there that they're at a hundred percent and it's not a rat race. They're not killing themselves to get there, whether it's the shop set up, you know, well, I think one of the main reasons would be is probably a limited car lines. They're only working on a few car lines or they have car line specialists. The overwhelming amount of work that they do is a certain type and it wouldn't matter what, it doesn't have to just be brakes, you know, which we, you know, put into that gravy world. It wouldn't have to always be just that, but it's where there's some, the ability to become familiar to the point where they see the car on the ticket or they drive it in and know what they have to do, that they're literally going to their toolbox, grabbing what they're going to need, putting it in their cart, and they're pretty close to right. There's no back and forth. There's no like, I kind of know what I have to do on this Land Rover. I did one six months ago. Oh, I forgot the, okay. And I'm not saying that just tanks your numbers either, but it's little stuff like that costs time. You know, you're losing, you know, one minute per step and there's 60 steps. You just cost yourself an hour. I'm not bad mouthing anything. If, if the shop is set up to perpetuate a hundred percent productivity, great. If it's not, but everything else, the numbers work out where everything's profitable and you can pay yourself and pay your employees well. And it's not just well in your imagination. You can do the research and find out that you can go that there's nothing wrong with running 80s either then. Because I'm sure there's plenty of shops out there running in the hundreds and they're on the brink of collapse. And there's other shops out there running 60% and they're killing it. You know, coming from a lower class background, you know, I I don't want to see labor rates to where where those people can't afford to get their vehicles fixed anymore. I don't want to price them out either. You know, so how much of the responsibility goes back to the manufacturers? You're the ones doing this, man. Well, and the government, because they're making the, the emissions rules, I guess, too. Do they have to come out with like a cheap car line or something? Because if we're going to get to the place where like our worker bees can't make it to work, that's what I got. You know, I'm like concerned about that because like right now you were talking about the $100 benchmark labor hour, right? To pay for everything. I think we need to be at 300, man. It'd be hard for someone to convince me that we don't, but the byproduct of that would be all for little towns and little areas like people would be able to afford to have the equipment. They wouldn't be stressing out getting programming equipment, you know? The what you're talking about to me, and I don't think I have nearly the knowledge required to even remotely answer it accurately though, but that screams to me the strength of the middle class has been degrading over the decades. Oh my God, so much so. I mean, part of it's political and I pick your side. They're both guilty. 
I don't know if it's true or not, and that's why I'm, I hesitate to answer the question, and I, I don't present this as an answer. It's an idea, but um, just kind of listening to Professor Scott Galloway about it is that the uh, middle class isn't formed by accident. It, there has to be an effort to create it. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, I don't, so I don't want to make it sound like I, I'm answering this, but that's an intriguing idea to me that... The middle class, there has to be an effort to create it and to strengthen it. And if that's the case, then what you're talking about, it's very important that we do because that will give them the ability to afford certain things that are needed to function in our society. So in many places where you live, you need a vehicle. And so you have to be able to afford to buy one, whether it's new or used, and you have to be able to afford to maintain it. You know, the businesses have to charge what they charge to be able to afford to offer the service. So to me, it's maybe certain businesses can pop up to, you know, see a need, fill a need. But at some point, you can't. You can't afford to do it. I can't afford to work this cheap and do this this job. I'm better off pricing myself up higher, going after the higher end uh, income earners, and then trying to do some, uh, you know, donations or charity for a limited number of people because that's what I can afford to do rather than can I open this business that targets the lower income earners. And I, I worry that at some point you can't anymore. You just, just, there's no reasonable way to do it. So now it becomes out of our hands and more, we'll just say societal. I don't, I don't know that you can just go after politicians either because they're supposed to represent us. And if we're not pushing for such things, you said supposed to, so <laughs> right. That could be another podcast. Yeah. Oh boy, could we do one there too? And uh, I agree with the professor. Middle class has to be created. We have to do maneuvering and functioning to have that. We we do every year. It becomes more difficult to repair these cars. So when the average car is four years newer, five years newer than what we're seeing right now, what's the average car right now? Like a 2011 or something or 12. So think four or five years ahead. I mean, we're not going to have to worry a whole lot about YouTube teaching people how to fix cars themselves because they're not going to have the equipment. I don't know how many do-it-yourselfers are going to do network diagnostics and all that kind of stuff, you know, anyways, even if they could. I think they'll continue to do breaks. So when that happens, classes are, are so far divided, right? They don't have the spending capital here like to go to a shop, and now we don't have the neighborhood mechanic either. So how do the worker bees get to work, and how does that help the country? When you said a lot of people need a car to get to work or they need transportation, I think it's most people. Yeah, outside of like metropolitan areas, right? Well, you think too, though, in a lot of inner city places, like I don't know about you, but, you know, I don't want my wife walking home or on the city bus in the dark, you know, in the bigger cities where people say, oh, but you have public transportation. It's like, okay, well, you go use it. You know, (laughs) I got to pack heat to get on that bus or whatever, you know. I think there's economic implications if we don't get this figured out. When I say we, I just I think I mean the country. I don't think it's really debatable because, yeah, it's very much in the best interest of the entire country, you know, as a whole, to have a strong, healthy workforce. You know, I think you can take whatever political philosophy you want and there's logic to it. The argument might be how to do it, I think everyone can agree that it must exist. You must have a, a strong, healthy, intelligent workforce. And, you know, if they're going to be doing most of the production and, you know, to quote, it's a wonderful life, most of the living and the dying, would it hurt to have, you know, whatever lifestyle? Well, man, you know what I, you and I do really well? We kill time. <laughs> and, and, you know, we keep on opening these doors where it's like... <laughs> all these other major discussions right yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next few years man because i think we're we're gonna see some big changes no matter what um and see what happens on how we get people like me to maybe not flee and you're at, i'm not even the important one but the other guy you talked about how in the hell did we let that happen i think it might happen more than we think you just don't hear about it and it's quieter too right they're just done and we've never heard of them and, and probably never will hear of them and They're doing something else entirely and loving it, working in a cubicle. It's a a shame because keeping people, you know, that are driving their families 
you know, in their cars and keeping them on the road and in a safe manner and everything, man, that's where I want the talent. I don't want them at the casino. People don't have to gamble. I gamble on every car. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, yeah, there's that. Our reputation and our livelihood and our freedom. <laughs> well, thank you for coming on again, sir. I really, really appreciate it. Really just ecstatic that you came on and shared shared your story like that. And well, thanks. Uh, I'm sure in the forums, I'll probably get my teeth kicked in for a few things I might have said. But hey, man, I'm all for it. Change my point of view. I'm, that's one thing I'm always is, is open-minded, man. So... I'll hear information and change my point of view if it's appropriate. But thanks for thanks for having me on. I sure appreciate it, man. Oh, thank you for coming on. Thank you for listening. Thank you for all the feedback on uh, all the episodes and uh, the check-ins. I really, really do appreciate that. If you have any ideas for about future episodes or want to come on the podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out. I'm really, really easy to find on social media. You can also email me at mattfonzelpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you to Nap Auto Tech Training for sponsoring and thank you to the Aftermarket Radio Network for making this all possible. So until next time, take care. You've been listening to Matt Fonslow diagnosing the aftermarket A to Z on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Matt on your favorite listening app. He's very interested in what you have to say. Let him know what you'd like him to cover and come on the show. Matt is all for advancing the aftermarket. Find Matt Fonslow on social media and connect or on aftermarketradionetwork.com.